Hello and welcome to another episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual and today I have the opportunity to talk with Don Martel. Don is an experienced nutritionist and farm consultant now teaching at Michigan State University. Today we will spend time talking about one of my favorite topics, feed management. So let's get started. Welcome Don to the Virtual Coffee Break. We're very glad you're joining us today. Well, thank you. For those that are listening, Give us a little overview of your experience working in feed management on the field. Well, it all started back when I grew up uh, in a small dairy in Michigan and I went on to college, did some work and then worked a little, spent a little time in extension. But most of my time is all spent around cows. And I spent almost 30 years as a dairy nutritionist and feeding management consultant. In the last few years of my career, I spent a lot of time working on feeding management TMR audits, and things that looked at how we made feed more efficient. Trying to look at, you know, the different factors that are out there as far as feeding management, whether it be the equipment, the people. Then I also got involved in the process, understanding how we make it all work and can we be more efficient in that. And now I'm uh, uh, teaching at Michigan State, and that's primarily what I'm teaching is feeding management and, and dairy nutrition, and trying to pass on some of the, you know, 40 years of watching how we do the feeding process to our dairy cow. I would like to start by establishing that difference of what are we referring to when we talk about feed management? Because of course there's the dairy nutrition side of things, but on this particular episode, we're mostly focusing on the feed management that occurs at the farm level. So can you tell us a little bit about that difference between those two? That's an excellent point. And one of the things I learned early uh, from my advisors and people I worked with and actually successful dairymen is that every bit of the diet that I need to go in, whether it's in formulation, whether how it gets mixed, how it gets delivered, and what the cow actually eat and metabolizes needs to be the same. And that's the principle that 24-7, 365, we're feeding a rumen and we need to make that consistent. Research over and over shows the more consistent we make the diets, the better performance we see, the more efficient she utilizes her nutrients, and the more value that she does in her milk production. So how do we become more efficient with that process? How do we become more efficient with our equipment and people? And how do we watch the behavior of those cows? What do they like and when do they like it and how do they like it also is something that we have to take into account of when we look at feed management. A lot of that we don't see because We're not there on the farm 24-7. Whether you're an advisor or whether you're an owner, we're not out there all the time unless we've got cameras. So there's a lot of things that happen that we're not around to see. So those are the things that we want to focus on. One of the things that I often tell managers is that often you go to the parlor, often you review your milking procedure, you talk to your milkers to make sure they're following your practices. But typically the feeder shows up in the morning, does his thing on his own back there. Nobody bothers him. Nobody talks to him. Then he finished feeding all the cows. He comes in, gives you a list of things we need to order, and then he leaves the farm. So that communication with the feeder, which is kind of one of the things you're referring to, needs to improve. We need to understand what's the feeder doing. Is he doing a good job? But we have to develop those metrics in order to know if the feeder is doing a good job, right? Yes, that's right. When I first started uh, about, oh, 10 years ago, 
really focusing on feeding management and watching it, I would ask a dairy farmer, you know, in your mind, what is a good feeder? Invariably, there was three answers to it. Number one, he shows up on time. Number two, the cows are fed. And number three, he doesn't break stuff. <laughs> and that was the qualifications for a good feeder. Uh, and some of them were there for many, many years. And was there any monitoring that went on? Was there any uh, seeing whether or not was, the diets were actually getting fed accurately? And in many cases, sometimes they were, in some cases they weren't. And as you well know, a feeder, a individual feeder is not on the farm every day. He has to have days off. And who yep. feeds? How do they feed that's not there? How does that all program work? How do we monitor that? And how do we know that it's being done accurately on a timely basis so that, again, we make a happy cow with a happy rumen? And that means a good diet. point that you mentioned that is very important is the lack of consistency feeder to feeder when we have different people jumping in the tractor. Definitely, we do see that inconsistency when the relief feeder come. I have yeah. heard from producers my feeder feeds in X amount of time and I do it on the weekend and I finish two hours early. So why is he costing me that much money? Why is he taking too much time? And I think the lack of standardization on the feeding process is a big problem that producers can tackle. Definitely. We do it at the parlor. Every cow hopefully has been milked the same way, independent of who is in the parlor. So how do we transfer that to our feed program? We've talked a lot about the people and the personnel, and that, that is extremely important, and we can't minimize that at all. But I think we also have to focus on, do they have the equipment that they need? Do they understand the process they need to know? Do they understand what the goal of the farmer is for feeding the cows? Oftentimes, feeders are not necessarily cow people. They may be very good at equipment. They may mm -hmm. be very good at fixing equipment, they, you know, mechanics and keeping the equipment going, but may not understand what's the need of the cow and when does that cow need feed? When is it out of feed? When do we feed, need to feed more? When do we need to feed less? And the forages that we feed, we know that all the forages we have in the farm can be highly variable and can change. Does he know when to increase and decrease, whether rain events are gonna have an effect? So there are a lot of processes that are out there that need to be checked, and that needs to be part of the training program and the monitoring program that each dairyman needs to have in place as he moves through the different people that are, are touching his cows through the feed. So how do you envision a good training program for a feeder? Well, I think they have to have a working knowledge of the equipment. They have to have a working knowledge of the expectations of when things need to be done. So how does that training happen? I think there has to be assessments that need to go on and discussions that go, need to go on. Oftentimes we have forages that are coming in and out. We have new ingredients that come that are in and out. So that means there has to be communication. And there are some training materials that are out there that are basic, whether it comes through the university or comes through uh, the web, about how we need to get cows fed. I think training program and SOPs yep. need to be established so that uh, there isn't that procedural drift that happens on a lot of farms. SOPs are extremely important for the feed program and a recipe is not an SOP. We have a list of ingredients with amounts. That does not make that an SOP uh, because I can add the ingredients in any order I want and I can mix them for any amount of time I want. So any detail that is not part of a procedure 
means that I have the flexibility to do what I want and that will yield inconsistencies on the other side of things. So a good SOP for a mix should have, yes, the ingredients, yes, the amounts, but also which order are we gonna add them? How much time we're gonna mix them? Do we need to process the forage before we start adding it to the mix? Where is our mixing wagon located to mix in order to work properly? The moisture level on a high cow ration is totally different from a dry cow ration. So maybe yeah. they require different settings on the equipment to make sure they mix consistently across. So all of those need to be part of an SOP that is lacking, honestly, in most farms. What we have on every farm is a manufacturing kitchen. And we need to be able to work with our people to be able to understand what is the most efficient way, what is the proper way, what ingredients need to go in at what time, mm -hmm. and when do those diets need, how long do they mix? You mentioned that. How long do I mix it for and the speed and all that? And when do they need to be delivered? There are, in certain farms, because of, of cow movements and that, feed needs to be delivered at a certain time and they're going to be best utilized by the cows at delivered at best times. Sometimes we can't feed all the cows all at one time. We divide it into two feedings or three feedings yep. or multiple feedings. It's a process that has to be understood and that has to be trained up front or otherwise. There's a lot of you know, overlap and there's a lot of opportunities that can develop from it. So. Yeah, I, I always think as the cow as you know, she's the model of consistency. The cow is consistent. So everything we do in our end needs to adjust to the cow. So that goes with what you just mentioned about when do we need to feed that cow in order for her to utilize the feed the most efficient way? We can talk about the feeder, but there's other people that touch those cows in the feeding process too. You know, we have the people that push up feed. We have the people that are doing other things and, and watching those cows in that feeding process. Yep. So when you look at feeding management, it, it covers a lot more of the people that are out there than just, just the feeder. On a daily basis, we have the feeder. We have the guy pushing up feed. We have the guy doing the breeding or walking the pants, monitoring the animals. All of those are part of that feeding. Even the pusher that's taking the cows in and out of the pen at certain times of the day need also to be part of that conversation to make sure that feed's there when the cows come back and all that sort of things. So as you mentioned, there's a, a team of at least five positions on a daily basis that are involved in the management of that feed to make sure that it gets to the cow. That's correct. You mentioned something about equipment. What are some key aspects that we need to monitor in our equipment to make sure that the equipment is doing its job? Well, I think oftentimes we've got equipment on the farm. We're going to deal with what we got. So at this point in time, oftentimes when I would go out to a farm and I would look at the equipment, the first thing that we look at is to make sure it's not worn out. Anytime you have metal that's thousands and thousands of tons and pounds go through that mixer. And so we have to look at the different parts and there are different parts that wear depending on the type of mixer and how it does it. But we have to make sure that we are, in some cases, as those things wear out, the consistency of that mix directly is affected by the wear. Sometimes it's knives. Sometimes it's paddles or shoes. Sometimes it's the screws that are not working well. Sometimes it's the augers. And what happens is it's as we, we have to be able to monitor that. As you well know, the equipment dealers don't come out and do that for us. Mm -hmm. So somebody has got to monitor that. Things wear out slowly. It isn't all of a sudden it just breaks. 
Yep. It just wears down and metal wears down. And so when it wears down, it's sometimes a slow process. Often you can't always see what happens when we start to see inconsistencies because sometimes it may be at the end of the mix where more of the grain just doesn't get incorporated in or water doesn't incorporate it in well. And it just is not seen. So at times we have to actually walk behind the mixer after we drop it to see if it looks all the same. It's a real simple yep. process. We're always, the feeder is always busy, that everybody's driving through and that. Don't take the time to look to see if the mixer actually is functioning the way it is. If it's mixing, every part of that mix should be moving. If it's not moving, if you look inside of a mixer and it's nearly done, and every part of that feed ingredients are in there should be moving. And if it's not moving, I guarantee you, you're gonna have an inconsistent mix. At some point in time down the bump, it's going to be different. Sometimes you can see that worn out equipment by what's left over in the mixer. Because what happens is, is as the mixer wears down, the feed is, can't, can't get into the, the spin or the movement of the mix. So it gets left inside the mixer. The more feed that's left in, oftentimes is a good sign that that mixer is in need of repair. Sometimes it becomes too full and it just won't mix because mm -hmm. the mixer has been warm. So that's kind of a quick and dirty at looking at mixers. How often will you recommend doing that thorough evaluation of your equipment? Well, I think that that can be done, you know, on a monthly basis. But I think, you know, the first tip would be is that, you know, I mentioned that the guy who feeds the cows, I mean, he may be waiting a little bit and might be good for, for him to take a look in maybe a mix every day and take a look inside and say, you know what? I don't see this part of the mixer mixing very well. It's not moving, the feed's not moving. So that is something that could be quickly observed, particularly you need to look at big mixes, you know, mixes where we've got a lot of volume. And the same token would be is that small mixes where we've got small amounts, let's say fresh cows, pre-fresh cows, maybe heifer batches, and look inside the mixer as it gets near the end to see if you can see ingredients that are still not been distributed well, Mm -hmm. That's a real quick, uh, quick and dirty thing. And that can be done on a daily basis. And experience tells everyone that it's easier to fix a little problem than it is to fix a big problem. Sometimes right. we see equipment that we know for certain it did not get that way overnight. Yeah. It's just yeah. a lack of monitoring. One thing led to another. One thing led to another. And all of a sudden, now you have to invest in replacing a mixer that maybe with closer monitoring, changing knives, um, given the proper maintenance will be cheaper than replacing a piece of equipment yeah. that we know we are not having the economics to do right now. Yeah, we, we just don't have the There are some principles that we need to make sure that we do, and, th and this can happen within the feeder. You know, most mixers we need to, when we load, we need to load in the middle of the mixer. You know, we don't need to put it on one end or the other. And that means for augers too. You know, I mean, sometimes we will put in, we will put ingredients, whether they be wet or dry in one end or one part, just because of the way that we drive the mixer up to a bin or whatever. And if we don't have good mixing uh, procedures, that ingredient may not move through the mixer uh, distributed evenly. So where we put the feed, how we put it in makes a difference. The order oftentimes needs to be followed as the mixer company recommends. Um, you know, and the, the thing that a lot of guys don't realize, but Every mixer 
right in the manual, it needs to be in a level spot. Yep. If we don't, if we're not mixing on a level spot, if it's up one inch or down two inches, it can have a huge effect of how well that distributes that feed throughout the mixer. So just the simple thing of when I mix, I need to make sure that I'm in a level spot so that it evenly can move from front to back or up or down. So and simple things like that, if we're off on the side hill, uh, we're not going to have it. The same thing with, with water, where I put it in, how I put it in, does it evenly distribute it? So there are some principles that we need to follow. Levelness becomes one of those important ones. That's definitely true. We probably, we could develop a whole episode about the actual procedure of mixing. Yes. Uh, because as you mentioned, it has so many details that need to be accounted for in order to make sure our ration is consistent. Before we move on, there's one more thing I would like to talk about in this overview of feed program and is the economic impact that the feed program has. You know, all things that we have talked today uh, are important for a mixing, but not just to have a consistent diet for your animals and, and health and productivity, all that comes with it, but the economic impact of a well-run feed program, it's key. And I would like to know, Don, if in your experience you have seen how much economic impact does a well-run feed program has on an operation? It's huge. And I will throw out some examples of, of that. But, you know, in economic basis, it's, it's very, very large. Just where we've seen as example where, and, and let me go back to the example of a mixer that is not running correctly. And I'll just say running correctly, meaning mm -hmm. that they're not, they're not monitoring the, the speeds and how they were putting feeds in. They were not making a good mix. And as a result, what happens is that we were getting grains that were coming out at different parts of the bunk inconsistently. The one thing that showed up so quickly when, we, when that was corrected was butterfat test. Because what happens was is that the fibers and the grains were being separated and sorted out. And some cows were getting a whole lot more grain and some cows were getting a lot less. And so what happened is, is that the inconsistency showed up in butterfat tests, and mm -hmm. as soon as it was corrected, butterfat tests jumped from 3.3 to 3.7 and 8 within a couple weeks. And so those little things like that were an inconsistent mix, which was supposed to be consistent, was not being consistent because of the machine and, and a couple other things too. It showed a huge, as we know, well know, butterfat and protein and components are what we're making now. Mm -hmm. And little things like that, when we don't have fiber with our, with our grains and all that, can make a big difference in the rumen, which makes a big difference in our income that we get, generate from that pound yep. of butterfat. For feed, I always say it goes both ways. It has a double impact because feed will determine your cow production, which will determine your income. But at the same time, the way you manage feed will have a huge impact on your expense. So oh. feed is one thing that hits you on the front and also hits you on the back. So the work you do with it can help you reduce the expense, but at the same time, maximize your income. So it's a double win. Absolutely. Because oftentimes when we have the ability to monitor loads as far as accuracy and, and how accurately are they delivered and how accurately are they made, we will find very, very commonly, we'll find that there can be some big errors in how feed is managed and loaded. There's can be some big errors when we actually manage inventories, big errors in what we call shrink, mm -hmm. which is a whole new area that 
we'll probably, if we could manage shrink, we could probably buy a new pickup truck every year if we could just <laughs> cut shrink even a third off of most dairies. And there's data that backs that up. There's data out of Kansas that just a 12% shrink, which is below the average for the U.S., can mean $330 per cow per year. Easily. And again, because we hope we make enough milk to cover our feed costs, we don't manage it. But when you go to other countries, feed is three times the price or forages are twice the price. You watch how they manage what we put in and how much we put in and how accurately we manage and so we don't lose any, what we call into shrink. Mm -hmm. You realize that it's a big cost that we have ignored for years and years in our dairy industry. Yep. It has to be addressed at some point in time. If not, then we're really becoming inefficient, comparatively speaking. So, And I think we're getting close to that point because now the notion that we can make enough milk to pay for those losses, yes, we're making enough milk, but that milk is not paying quite enough. Exactly. So, so I think yeah. we're getting close to that point where we're making milk. Milk is not making that much money, so we have to start taking a look at what we have not been doing to this point that can help us stay sustainable. It's absolutely, and it's, a, it's an area as we talk, we can talk about at some point in time, but shrink is one of those things that you're never going to reduce it to zero, but anything that you can do to reduce it one to two to 3% is a huge dollar value. And, and all you have to do is take your feed costs and multiply it. And let's just take 97% off of that or add 3% or add you will see that it is a big number is real quick. So what ways can, can we uh, address shrink on a farm on a nutshell? Because of course we can do a whole other episode about shrink, but how can producers start being more proactive about shrink? Well, I think it takes a champion. In my opinion is that somebody has got to realize that it's important and it can't just be ignored. It's, it's just like somebody has to have a light bulb and needs to kind of, within that organization, start driving areas that are potential areas of shrink. And there's many areas of shrink that we could, we could start with. But, you know, the simple ones are, my, what's my most expensive ingredients and how well am I taking care of them? Mm -hmm. And can I reduce those things that are $700 a ton or $1,000 a ton? How well do I take care of them? How accurately do I put them into mixes? Do we dump them into mixes or do we actually weigh them out? How do we look at those very expensive ingredients and make sure at least we take care of them and get them accurately put in there? A simple thing is that how accurate are your scales on your mixer? <laughs> Holy smokes. You know, a survey was done by Diamond B a, a few years back and they went to 25 mixers and they found that five of them had inaccurate weigh scales. <laughs> and so that meant, and I, I started doing that myself, and I found a mixer that was a thousand pounds off on every batch, and he made 20 batches. <laughs> so it didn't take long to realize that shrink and accuracy and all those kinds of things. The simple thing, we, we expect this poor mixer is bouncing up and down the mud. We've got electronics, and away we go. How often, when's the last time we check the weight of our mixer? In most cases, if you were to be in a meeting and ask every dairy farmer, what's the last time you checked your mixer? Well, <laughs> it was broke a year ago and that's the last time I checked it. And we're putting thousands of tons in there and we're not checking it and we're not getting accuracy in that. So it probably needs to start right there. It's not surprising how many of the things you have mentioned sound like simple things, 
because they are right. We just need to be a bit more proactive. Yep. Go back to the basics, figure out how things are supposed to work and ensure that they're working that way. So it's not a complicated science. It's just very simple. This equipment is supposed to do this. Is it doing it? Yep. Well, Don, I would like to thank you for spending some time with us today. You're quite uh, definitely, I hope that this episode spikes the conversation among producers about what can they do, how can they get started. And definitely, I'm looking forward to have you over again to kind of yep. go deeper in some of the topics that we have touched on today. Deeper. Yeah, we didn't cover cameras because the one thing that I, I'm going to leave with this is that I probably had the greatest awakening in my my career is when I actually started putting cameras about five to 10 years ago and watching what the cows eat and how they eat. That changed for a lot of people. It changed how they fed their cows. That's a very good teaser for a second episode that we hopefully yes, have you over. Where can people direct questions to you or if they um, want to learn more about some yeah. of the things we have touched on today? Absolutely. I will give you my email address. It's 75spartan at gmail.com. And also other questions can be directed to me at C-A-R-R-A-S-Q1 at msu.edu. And we'll be happy to help you with either particular problems or just more information about things that we have covered Absolutely. on today. Absolutely. There's a lot of resources out there that we can focus, not not just university, are, but there's, there's a lot more being talked about in feeding management. And that's kind of cool. So that's good. Good. Well, thanks for being with us today. Bye-bye. Once again, I'd like to thank Don Mortel for joining me today. I hope that today's discussion motivates dairy producers to start asking some of the questions presented in today's podcast. I don't need to remind you that feeds are the major expense in your operation. Therefore, it requires precise management to maximize its usage and impact on the farm. Join us next week when senior educator Phil Durst will interview Dr. Kelly Sporer. They will be talking about the latest we have learned about VLV, so please join us then. Mm -hmm.